And we return the remontada. Except it isn't. It's not a comeback. It's just we've taken a break for the second half. Uh, Robbie Dunn is here. Working Class Heroes, Madrid's Forgotten Team, is a book all about Rio Balacano. Now, there's a book about uh, Ibar, book about Barcelona, books about Real Madrid. I think there's a book about Atletico Madrid. But Rio Balacano, there was a gap in the market. At what stage did you send the idea over to Paul and Jane? It must have been 2016. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite an impulsive person in many ways, so I was kind of sitting around with, with this idea for a little bit, and I just went for it one day. And I actually got in contact with Paul Reedy, who's a Rio Vallecano season ticket holder, and kind of helps a lot of uh, a lot of people going to Rio games to source tickets and stuff like that. So he, I, I emailed him and asked him what, what, what did he think about the idea? Did, did, did I? Did he think it was feasible? And I actually didn't know him at the time, but he, he wrote back to me and, and, and gave me some insight into, uh, or gave me some feedback on my idea and then said, I, I was moving to Madrid in uh, back then anyway, so I was going to be in Madrid. And I told him, I asked him then if he wouldn't mind meeting up with me and having a chat. He said, absolutely. So Paul is from Ireland originally, so he invited me into his house to have a cup of tea and I went in and chatted with him and, and, and from that point on, it was kind of, okay, how do I write a book? And um, so it would have been the summer of 2016 or just before that. And then I started that, that August in Vallecas. I went to my first game and, uh, and, and and it took me a full year then to write the book, yeah. Yeah, and the book coming out in 2017. Uh, the club founded in 1924, which means the centenary celebrations must be prepared. Although if... Bayacano are a working class team. Will the celebrations be understated or will they go all out? You might know, you might know some details, you might not, but what do you expect will happen? No, um, to be honest with you, it's it's a very strange time to be a Rio fan and and to and to follow the club because there's a there's a kind of heightening tension between the owner Raúl Martín Presa and the fans and it feels like it's coming to a head now the promotion will 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 only go to both increase the spotlight on the intensity of the spotlight on Royal Yes Vallecano, the promotion back to La Liga a, we should say yeah yeah so they're, they're they're now a La Liga club and there's going to be a lot of uh, tension on them which will go a long way to kind of them um, easing the fans worries about what's happening on the field but off the field I, there's there, there's no other way to say this than to say it's a, it's a complete shit show I thought you were um, going to say that you, that hasn't been bleeped out kids should know what that word means uh, how how is it a show of shit um, basically the owner and the fans have had this ongoing battle for a number of years the running of the club has been brought into question the the investment that, or the lack of investment that the owner has made in the club has been brought uh, has been mentioned many times. His treatment of players, legendary players, and the and and the Rio Feminino, his treatment of the first team and and, and of, of of the other categories, and then last uh, April he invited the leaders of a far right political party in Spain called Vox into the press box of Rio at a time when there was elections going on but at a time when the fans weren't in the stadium so they were oh. it was they were silent they couldn't even 
protest against us because that would not have happened if they were there. So in ways, it was a very sneaky, divisive move by Presa, and he he doubled down on that. With, during the promotion celebrations, he invited the leaders again onto the balcony as the team passed by uh, celebrating their promotion. And it just feels like once the fans get back into the stadium, it's all going to come to a head. It feels like, you know, I don't know that. I'm not, I'm not threatening violence or anything, and I don't know what's going to happen. No, you're looking at the cauldron and you're seeing it bubble. I think that this could be the story that runs and runs. The fans are the Bucaneros. The Ultras, yeah, that's the name of the Ultras. Um, Yeah. They're known for their protests and their their kind of, their creative way of protesting against against the ownership of the club and the, the ills of society. Yeah, so I don't know what they have planned for when they can come back into the stadium, but I'm sure that match is going to let this lie. Are you embedded in the fans? If if there were these protests, would you say, I want to be on your side, I want to report what you say uh, for AS? Well, see, the thing about it is, I don't actually report on, on Rio for us. The LOS, the English section, don't... Uh, they focus on uh, big Spanish news stories, but Raya would rarely get any attention on a, on a more global scale. Now, obviously, if there was violence or fan trouble, that would obviously merit attention from, from the English department of the LOS. But that would be left to the Spanish side of things. And I could go as a freelance writer and report on it for... Yeah, World however. Soccer or... Yeah. But, yeah, exactly, yeah. But... Um, but, but at the same time, a lot of these stories, it's kind of like, what what more is there to say? You know, like, I mean, Sid Lowe has done an excellent job writing about The Guardian uh, in, in uh, a number of occasions about Rio and about the club and, and things like that. It's been reported on a lot of it, but it's kind of like, okay, well, what's what's new here? Obviously, there was a, there was a case of Roman Casulia who signed from Betis a number of years ago, 2017, when I was writing the book, and he was accused harboring kind of right wing sympathies and things like that and then he, they would, the fans wouldn't let him play they were like no he's not playing for our club and they protested and there was violence and there was standoff at the training ground and they were like he's not playing and so he had to go and sign for someone else made the owner look very very silly he had to go and play for someone else didn't even put on the Rio jersey in the end played for Albacete Albacete came to Rio to play two seasons ago and he was called a a Nazi, apparently, by the fans, and, and he was, he was, there, was, there was chance against him. He went into the dressing room at half-time and said, I'm not going back out there. I've been called a Nazi. I've been called a fascist. I've been, I've been, I'm not going back out there. The game was postponed. That was a news story, definitely. But, I mean, until something kind of happens, it's kind of like, this is the way Rio is. What, 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 what's new here? Yes, that's happen, true. You, know? you, and, uh, you wouldn't write about a bonfire that's been raging for years. You've, in the same way that... Sorry to make the comparison, but you, Syria, we know there's a war. We, we need something big to happen, like an assassination to report it. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's... Football is... And, and my editor, Nass, always says... We had this discussion, but football is, a, is, is local. I mean, you, you can get the, the odd... And I say this uh, effectively. You can get the odd weirdo who loves Rio and follows Rio uh, religiously... But they're few and far between, and people like La Liga, but they don't follow it in the same way. That like, there's very few. There's not that much interest in the smaller clubs in La Liga uh, in the English-speaking world. There's not as many opportunities to report on it as you might think, and uh, that's why you've got like the likes of Sidlow who covers the whole of Spain, 
Yeah. And Dermot Corrigan, who covered the whole of Spain. Like, they're not just, oh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Rio correspondent for for the Guardian. Like, the, you, 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 would, you, would, you would only work probably 10 days a year. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of like, so Sid Lowe has to pick, what am I going to write about today? And well, what's the big story here? And well, he's brilliant because with the digest, fun. sorry, he chooses a thousand words as a, a big report and then does the digest yeah. and that's brilliant. Nikki Bandini does it for Serie A and that's it in one yeah. place. And then of course you've got various European football podcasts. Can you recommend any Spanish football podcasts, for instance, the Spanish football yeah. podcast? Yeah, that's the one. I mean, the Spanish football podcast is excellent. I, I, I was listening to that long before I, I moved to Spain and, and uh, I've actually gotten to know the, the three guys who, who, who do it now, Alex, Bill and, and Sid, obviously, and, and uh, they do just incredible work. And I mean, as a one-stop shop for Spanish football news, it's, yeah, and, and Sid, obviously, Sid's column is great and, and he, I mean, that man travels to so many games and you'd think like after so many years it would get a little bit tired but it just doesn't seem to be slowing down and just say, uh, yeah, credit. I do hope to get to, to uh, Fear and Loathing in La Liga is his book about Barcelona and Real Madrid. Not the first and not the last about the duality between them. Um, it was a story when Villarreal won the Europa League. I was watching um, the penalty shootout and uh, well done to the goalkeeper. It was uh, Ruli, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Geronimo Ruli. Yeah. Scored his, saved the hair. Yeah, he was the winning penalty. And now uh, yeah. Villarreal are in the Champions League this season. Yeah, an incredible feat for, for Unai, Unai Emery, who was on a little bit of a kind of redemption tour in Spain, went back to a club who, where, where he felt like he had the complete backing of the owners. Um, and it's his project. And I spoke earlier about sporting directors and everything. He seems to be, which is a little bit worrying maybe, he seems to be calling all the shots there, which is great when things are going well, but when things go poorly then and you kind of lose a little bit of them. Um, he knows what happens when it goes badly. Bit. Fam, you get yeah, exactly. me. Um, one, yeah. one person that's great to see in a Villarreal shirt is Etienne Capou, whom I've seen play. One of the best Watford players of all time, technically. Uh, and he didn't want to play in the second tier, quite rightly. So he went over to Spain um, and is a first team player for Villarreal. Um, is there any player outside of the big three clubs that you enjoy watching? Yeah, quite a few. And this is the thing, about, and this is what's a little bit frustrating about what I said earlier about football being local and that the the attention, a lot of the players who, who are brilliant, technically brilliant footballers, because La Liga prides itself on being a technically excellent league, even though they've lost ground in recent years because of the more German-style physical transition, tactical revolution. Spain are unwilling to compromise on the technical qualities that they uh, and rightly so I mean you can't just go chasing trends so they're willing to maybe not willing but they haven't willfully accepted this but they by not changing what they what they believe in they are in a way accepting that they're not always going to be at the forefront of every single tactical revolution but they know that it's cyclical so eventually just the, 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 the more technical and, and technique will almost always rise to the top in many ways uh, so so yeah you, you get so many um, players from different clubs like Gerard Moreno at Villarreal for example is excellent players such as uh, Raul de Tomas coming from Espanyol this season an excellent striker like he's flashy but he's also productive in the mould almost of and I, and, I, and I use this comparison very lightly but in the mould of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo almost like you know I, I would imagine 
I haven't actually heard him saying this, but I would imagine he is heavily influenced by Ronaldo in, in, in his style and his um, his hunger and drive. Uh, so players like that that you see at smaller clubs that don't get the attention, and, and maybe it's understandable given the fact that not everyone loves La Liga the way that I do or follows it the way that I do. Um, but yeah, there's, there's loads of players technically brilliant and uh, Sergio Canales for, mm-hmm. for Real Betis, for example. Nabil Fekir, always a pleasure to watch. Players like this, I mean, I'd, I'd have to kind of go down through my list of La Liga teams and kind of pick one or two from each team. But yeah, they're, they're, the technical quality in La Liga is always of the highest quality. There are, yes, there are enough top players in La Liga. The league kicks off uh, at the end of August. I don't know how much pre-season work you've got to do in general. I suppose you're back in Ireland as we speak, but you'll be back in Spain uh, in August. Do you have a weekly schedule that you do? Yeah, well, I'll be going back into it now in, in, in at the start of August, probably. And there's a, as a freelancer, I work with the IOS, but as a freelancer, there's kind of always different bits and pieces from different um, different publications and things. Uh, and also be going back to college to study the Masters in Data Science. I got to, uh, I've got that coming back up in September as well. So I've got some... Uh, I've got plenty of work on my plate when it comes to that as well. Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm going to have to have you on again because I do want to do a big bit in the coming season. I'm trying to read the 92, and I've done pretty well so far. I've spoken to fans and writers from about 55, 60 clubs. Some of the League 2 ones are becoming tough, but I'm broadening out because Pitch, so brilliantly, seemed to have books about every single big club in the world. My book is about the FA Youth Cup. Uh, so I'm having to start down there. But we are seeing a lot of books, not just about fantasy football, which I could give or I can take. Uh, do, what are, where are you on fantasy football, yay or nay? Do they even have them in Spanish papers? Yeah, they do. They have a version of it. But yeah, I, I, I don't like... I mean, I play... I lived in Chicago for a long time uh, when I was yeah, younger. Yeah. And, and, they play, and I play fantasy American football. And that's... I love it. I, I mean, I can't, I can hardly put into words how, how obsessed I get with it during the season. I'm planning my fantasy, I'm in a couple of fantasy leagues now in the, in the, in coming up in August, and I'm already planning for that. And it's, it's just an incredible way to enjoy the game, I find. Um, I'm a Chicago Bears fan. It's hard when you're rooting or when you're cheering for the team. No, I'd never cheer for anyone against the Bears, but I, um, I, if I need points from my quarterback or whatever, I'll, uh, mm-hmm. I'll sometimes kind of be torn. But in fantasy football and soccer, they haven't really they haven't really managed to figure out a way to um, to do it properly yet. But uh, I'd imagine it's a it's a it's a it's a big growth industry, and once they do catch on to it, if they can figure out a way to kind of market it the way that they do fantasy football, fantasy baseball in in America, definitely play it more. Um, yeah. Uh, with, with more fervor. Uh, but there are loads of books, and it was more fun doing uh, fantasy football. I, I joined my brother's league. I did incompetently. But being a Watford fan, Watford were not in the Premier League. This season we are. Maybe I just won't pick any Watford players. Um, maybe because they're all leave. But yes, there are, there are so many books about uh, coming up. Christoph Beerman, I don't know if you've read his book, Football Hackers, but it's yeah, not... Did, yeah, 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 it's fantastic because you do realise... That some of the data points are, are ludicrous. Who cares who, how much you run or how fast you run or what your top speed is? Mm. But the packing stat seems very important because that is about territorial gain. It becomes more like a military manoeuvre. And it is interesting. I was particularly intrigued by where England scored their goals. Did you notice that 
all of England's goals were either set pieces or from about eight yards out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, um, was that in the book? No, no, that was me just uh, no, yeah, yeah. doing the research. But oh, so, yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at well, no, we, we, the expected. I finally learned what expected goals were because they put that chart that I'm sure you've you've got up on your wall, which is piling in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of data points to get where, with all things being equal, taking all the variables away, where you're more likely to score a goal. However, that to me makes football less exciting. All the great goals from when I was younger come from outside the box, like Thierry Henry's goal over Barthez or <laughs> Letizia's many thousands of goals, um, not from the penalty spot. When you're watching with a Vallecano supporter, do you say to them, do you want to know how statistically Vallecano can stay in the division because, through how uh, Signor Iraola can manage the game as manager? No, like I mean, but I would. I don't know, like either. Well, for firstly, I, I'm I'm new to this as well, so I I watched I watched American football, and and the reason why I got into American football many many years ago was the statistics. I just loved I I, I loved them. I I don't know why, and I wasn't even advanced or anything like that. I just remember I used to love how how meticulously they tracked the statistics, and it was weird because back in Ireland back then when I was in college. And I, I, I didn't know anyone else that liked American football. I used to go down on a Monday to buy USA Today uh, in my college. I used to, I went to college in a, in Dublin, and it was uh, in the in the financial sector. And I used to, there was a place that used to sell the USA Today, and I used to buy the USA Today and read about the statistics. And I, I remember, I remember, I didn't have anyone to talk to this about. But I remember there was one guy who, my, who was a friend of a friend and we sat beside each other on the bus on the way home to my village for an hour. We just threw statistics back at each other. And it was weird because it was like this mutual understanding. And I, I know that he felt, I feel like, I think I know he, he felt the same way. We were sitting there going, it was the first person who I had sat and talked to physically who, who, who could talk about, um, and this is before I moved to Chicago or anything, and he was able to kind of talk to me about Larry, Larry Fitzgerald, the wide receiver statistics and things like that. Anyway, and I, and I, I love the NBA too. So like, when you listen to podcasts on the NBA and you read the analysis on the NBA, they've blended the narrative storytelling with, there's room, there's room for both. Mm-hmm. The way that a lot of NBA fans see the game is so analytically driven, but it doesn't take away the joy from it. And, and also, like you're saying there about uh, taking shots from outside the box, like, okay, the, the problem is, I think, is that people think that, oh, we're going to solve football or something like that, or, oh, I'm, I'm worried that you'll take the enjoyment out of it. Enjoyment out of it. But, but, okay, so XG, at the start, it was like, oh, take more shots closer to goal. But there's times when long shots are good because if you're playing, say, for example, Spain, can't, you can't break down a defence, just say, for example, and they're passing the ball back and forth. It gets to the point, someone just have a shot and, we, and, and it'll either go in, you'll force a save and we'll win a corner or you'll miss. Grand. Either one of them is better than what we're doing right now, passing the ball back and forth to each other. So... When to take that shot? I don't know. Who's taking the shot? I don't know. From what distance? I don't know. But there is no answer. Or maybe you've got someone who's excellent at taking long shots. Yes, tell him to take six a game. The statistics say or whatever. If he takes um, ten shots a game from distance, the chances are he's going to test the keeper on three. And also, 
taking a shot from distance conditions the defense, the, the defenders, to change their position. If if you if a defender knows a player, a team, they're like, okay, Spain don't shoot from distance. We can sit back and we don't have to worry about this guy shooting from distance. Whereas if you know that they're going to shoot from distance, you have to close him down. And all of a sudden, by closing that player down, a crack has appeared. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I, there is no... Yeah, what I'm doing is I'm I'm imagining you moving magnets on a board. I'm also um, (laughs) I'm also imagining um, Alex Stewart, the critic Alex Stewart, son of Alistair, uh, who watches football with the sound off because he wants to see the patterns of play, where the blocks are, and also makes me think of Patrick Schick. The goal of the tournament came from 48 yards out because Schick had spotted the keeper off his line. And I'm sure for the rest of that game, albeit the Czechs had won that game at that point, people would have been aware that Schick would take the long shot, the defenders would run to him, oop, ball goes to the left, chaps out of position. Um, the, The further thing it makes me think of is, can you name the two players who won Chelsea the Champions League this year? Uh, in terms of... Who are... Who uh, are Golo Kante. Yep, that's one. And the other one Golo, next to him? Golo Kante and... Played for Italy. Uh, uh, in, the, in the final, Kai, Kai Havertz, I thought, was excellent in the final. Uh, Kovacs was very good. The one I was thinking of was Jorginho, who, who, oh, ve- okay. who yeah, very yeah, nicely yeah. missed a penalty in the final because he knew that living in West London, as he does... Um, yeah. And knowing that he took the fifth penalty, I think it was quite nice of him. It was the most generous. Might win the FIFA Fair Play Award, missing that penalty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chelsea, ones to watch, but then with that much money, you'd expect it. Kante, um, in a 4-3-3, you've got Jorginho and Kante playing either side of him. That midfield should not, with that manager as well. And that manager is Tuchel, one of many Germans in elite football. It's about coaching the coaches, so are the Spaniards coaching the coaches? Is there another um, Luis Enrique, Zinedine Zidane coming through? Because we don't really hear about top Spanish coaches. Yeah, well, that's kind of coming back to what I was saying about the technique and, and, and the processes in which they develop players. Like you've got, say, Villarreal, Real Betis, Real Sociedad, and they've got academies that are just producing players that are absolutely world-class and, and they might not turn into Galacticos or they might not turn into Neymars or Mbappes, but they're, they're, they're going all around the world playing in, in, in like Fabian Ruiz, for example, Real Betis um, and signed with Napoli, uh, an absolutely incredible player. Uh, and then in terms of the managers, you've got Javi Alonso. Of course, is, yes. Yeah, so he's a Real Sociedad B manager at the moment and he's, by all accounts, one of the best up-and-coming managers in the in the world. You've got Iraola under uh, Rayo, uh, a meteoric rise into La Liga and who has all the tools to make it to the very top uh, as a coach. So yeah, it's um, definitely got, got the got the talent there and they've got the processes in place. Well, I imagine... Uh, the structures in place. Yes, I imagine Iriola will want to go to Bilbao, surely. He's played hundreds and hundreds of games for them. A right yeah. back also played for Spain, uh, but he is now um, the manager of Iriola. Which former Real Madrid manager's son plays as goalkeeper for Vallecano? Lucas Zidane. Yep, correct. Uh, I'll ask him about him shortly. Now we're in quiz mode. Which former Watford player is a centre midfielder for Balacano. Watford. Watford. He followed, he followed Kike Flores to Watford because he played under him at Atletico. 
Oh, Mario, Mario Suarez. Mario Suarez, right player, wrong time. Uh, and who's the captain of Vilacano and why is it him? Oscar Trejo. Yeah, Trejo's the captain. I've never heard of him because I don't watch Vallecano. Um But is, has he got the rehostia, to, which uh, is a word I learned from Rory Smith that means dog's bollocks? Yeah, rehostia. Yeah, rehostia. Uh, yeah, 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 he does. He's got that Argentinian kind of style. Um, he played with... Rocker, I think, and, and then he went to France and he played at Rio and then he came back and, and he's been unbelievable. He's an unbelievable footballer. I, I love watching him play. He's got this kind of nasty streak in him, but he's also got like what they call in Spain la, la pausa, the pause, the kind of the ability to just kind of stop, set, and, and like the same way as maybe Iniesta had. He's got that. Brilliant. Unbelievable player, I think. And he yeah. has been he's been part of two Segunda winning teams. Uh 2017-18 and this one what did they win? They didn't win just now. No, they, no, no, they, they they finished sixth. So two promotion teams. How did that work finishing sixth? Who did they have to beat to go up? And, and, and there's actually been a bit of talk about this because the team that generally finishes sixth is the team that well, I don't know the statistics on it, but apparently the team that finishes sixth has been promoted more often than not. And I think the reason might be because if you're finishing sixth, you're tuned in until the last day of the season, you're, there's a chance that you're fighting to, to get into sixth. Like, for example, Rio had to keep their level up until the final day of the season, and even then they just squeezed into the, into the playoffs. Whereas you got the team like Almeria, who finished second, and they were out of the title race and out of the automatic promotion places with about maybe eight weeks to go. They were never going to not make the promotion. So maybe they switched off a little bit. They went out against Corona in the first leg of the playoffs and got absolutely battered within the first 15 minutes. It was 3-0 after the first half an hour or something. Almeria finished third. Leganese finished fourth. And Rayo battered Leganese in the first leg and then uh, just sealed it in the second leg. And then against Corona... It was a little bit more tough and a little bit more competitive, but the momentum kind of almost carried them over the line in the end. Just looking at Lucas Zidane, who came through because his dad was uh, Madrid, although you have to be a good footballer to play in La Liga. Does he, do you reckon he gets stopped all the time by Real fans saying, give us some news, or do they leave him alone now? <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, I mean, he's kind of, uh, he doesn't really look too much like Zidane. I mean, he's got a, a, a lovely head of hair and, <laughs> uh, he's um, so so yeah. I, I don't really know. To be honest, I'm sure they live in a. In a I think they, I, I don't know where exactly they live uh, in Madrid, but uh, I'm sure it's a fairly, fairly private area. So uh, I wouldn't say people deny him at all. No, you see, like when you're around Madrid, you kind of tend to see players around a lot. And I've seen loads of players on the streets from, uh, from different clubs, and it, they wouldn't know. Like, and I noticed them because I'm a weirdo, and I know them. But like. I've often seen Rio, Rio players kind of eating at restaurants or I remember I saw Mikel Moreno from Real Sociedad and like nobody would even really Good. bother him because like only maybe 5% of the population would even know him. Maybe not 5%, but yeah, walking down the street, you're fine. So yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's asking Luke because of anything. There's something different here. Apparently there was someone, perhaps a footballer outside Nando's in Watford the other week but we're a town of 90,000 and most of 
Watford supports Watford FC, especially because we're doing so well nowadays. Um, you wrote this book, Working Class Heroes. You followed the fortunes of Viacano in 2016-17. I've got the squad up here. There are some familiar names. My mum fancied Jordi Gomez once upon a time because he was playing for Wigan. And mum saw him on telly and went, ooh, Jordi Gomez. Did he play much that season? I don't actually think so, no. I don't, um, I, no, I don't, I don't remember him playing at all, really, no. Uh, I do have his stats up now. 12 games, but the, the yeah. Nacho, I recognise, is that the Nacho who moved to Real? No, 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 no that's a different Nacho. He's different. a fullback. No, 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 they're completely different, yeah. Um, the goalkeeper was either Megias from Middlesbrough or Gattaniga. Yeah, Gattaniga came in at the end. Right. Uh, oh no, no, sorry, came in during the season and played quite well actually. Yeah, before going on to Spurs, then I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was from Southampton, so he was a Pochettino devotee. Uh, Manucho is a yeah. name I recognise. Ex-Man United player Manucho. Any good? Not really. No, he come on at the end of games and when Rio were looking for a goal. And, no, not really. No, no, promise more than he probably delivered, but uh, this is kind of weird, these are all, this is completely forgotten about a lot of these players. Yeah, I'm sorry to remind you of your own work. The book is Working Class Heroes, you can get it for 9 99 where you get your books. Uh, Madrid's forgotten team, Viacana, and you seem to have forgotten most of these players. Uh, Who was your player of the season? I love Trejo, I actually genuinely thought that Trejo was making a case for... Argentina back then uh, like it was probably but like in terms of how poorly they were going at the time and how well he was playing and he was he's like 30 31 now maybe so he would have been only like 27 he was in his prime back then I thought he was absolutely excellent I really like another player Santi Comasagna who still plays with Rio uh, that season Adrian Mbaraba was excellent as well uh, and this was a season the season of three managers uh, and it included, uh, well, Sandoval, who was... Was he the manager who led Viacano to eighth place a few seasons before? No, that was Paco. Oh, that's Paco. No, that was Paco Jemez. Okay. Oh, who's, which is a name I do know, Paco Jemez. Um, Pepe Mel um, was the one who seemed to have the most successful reign this millennium at Viacano. Um, did you bump into him at all, or was he working in England at the time? No, I did an interview with him for the book um, and he yeah he was very very uh, uh, open and, and about his time at the club and he was um, he was he was very nice and accommodating Pepe Mel managed Spurs no West Brom Ooh. I think West oh yeah, West, yeah oh yeah completely forgot about that too it's a crazy how quickly time moves because I remember yeah and he had he needed a translator or something like yeah. that he didn't really yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I should have asked my West Brom supporting friend, Dan, uh, if if he remembers him fondly. But yeah, the Spanish League and the Premier League are completely different. Because in, in the late 2000s, this was the glorious time for Spanish football. Euro, World Cup, Euro. I remember watching the final, the 2010 final. Uh, and if you ask me who the best footballer in the world is, it's Iniesta. Has Ronaldo scored in a World Cup final? No. Does Iniesta pay his tax? I think so. Um... But yes, this the stat that this is the the mighty quiz question that I hope you get, Robbie Dunn. Twenty twelve thirteen, oh. Bayacalo finished eighth. How many goals did they concede in the league? I can give you some options. Uh, um, uh, okay, okay, 
I would say, how can I, 30, I'd say they conceded maybe about 2.7, no, would they now I'd say two and a half, or two, two a game, 30 against 67, that's 76. I would say about 73. Oh, yes, slightly above, but they conceded more goals, 66, than, than Zaragoza, who went down, conceded 65. Uh, they were yeah, they conceded the most goals won. of any non-relegated team. Yeah, so that's what got me interested in Rio in the first place, was Paco Jemez and his style of football. It was completely gung-ho, it was completely loopers, and I completely fell in love with it. I think I want to have a look. I'll just uh, scroll back here, because hopefully they've got uh, the game-by-game game of the 2012-13 season. Do you remember any results in particular? There was one game against Atletico Madrid. They went out against... Barcelona and, and, and you should actually watch that game back because Pep Guardiola it was the first time in like three years or something like that Barcelona didn't have the majority of possession and Pep Guardiola came out and said Paco Jemez he, he, he said something like uh, that is they're one of the only teams who actually tried to play football against them. now Rayo got absolutely pounced but they tried to play football and that's what I absolutely love about Paco Jemez was this 5-0? I'm looking at 5-0, 7-0. They got bet 10-2 by Real Madrid that season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. So th- that uh, reminds me of what... I don't know if you were following um, the Bielsa tale. Oh, mighty Leeds. They're so brilliant. They lost 6-2 against Man U. Yeah, but they went for it. So that's what we like to see. I don't know if a Thomas Tuchel team is going to go for it. So Jemez, Bielsa, that's the kind of team you want to see this is the problem with, and this is just something that Sid Lowe said to me when I sat down to interview Sid for the book it's, it's, it, the way that we view this is, is all wrong in that people say playing that way with Rayo is suicidal no managing Rayo via Cano is suicidal <laughs> the, cha- the chances are you're going to, to, to be relegated anyway why not go out and try to play but see this is the problem and this is a problem with society in general. People would rather fail in a traditional way than fail in an innovative way or in a, in a, in a, in a way in which they're, they're, they're doing something outside of the norm. And I think that that's the way that we view, that's, that's the way that uh, we view soccer teams, football teams. And, and, and I think that Pat Bohemis completely internalized that and, and lived it. And he says, look, this is how I play football. This is how I see football. It doesn't matter if I'm playing against Real Madrid. doesn't matter if I'm playing Barcelona. doesn't matter if I'm playing with, with 10 men. And play like this. And that's it. And I think it's, it's very hard-headed. And it's actually gotten him in trouble in, 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 in the past. And he, ha- he has run out of, of, of kind of opportunities because of that, maybe. And, 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 and with that hard-headedness comes another form of hard-headedness in terms of the way that he, he kind of clashes with owners and stuff like that. But it's it's it's. I think it's very um. It's a very good way to to, to live your life in that this is or, or, or to at least view football, uh, and that's what Paco Jemez did, and he, he mm. completely hooked me anyway when he managed Rio Vallecano. And, uh, and it was between between twenty twelve and twenty sixteen, and one of the people he fell out with was Gino Pozzo because he took the Granada job for about seems like five and a half minutes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like six games. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Wow. And even on the Pozzo. Well, the Pozzos have fired people after two games before, so they are well known. Um, did Ruben Baraka fail yeah. brilliantly or fail miserably when he took over for about 12 games in the season in which you no, wrote this book? 
Yeah, I would say failed miserably, to be honest with you. He's the kind of manager who came in and the complete opposite of Paco Hemis. He didn't really have a style other than kind of try to look after the ball. And, yeah, it wasn't did, really he, did he play under Benitez at Valencia? Would it have been a, a Benitez style? Yeah, and it would be a very similar style, yeah, but with a lesser quality player. <laughs> Indeed. And the other point that I've just found out, Hemis um, came back... Um, in the the quarantine season, um, did it, did it not work the second time around for Viacano? No, no, it didn't work for him there because again the investment had, and there was never massive investment, but he had to being they had a sporting director called Felipe Minambres who went to Celta Vigo actually and is currently the sporting director of Celta Vigo, but. During during Paco Jimenez's time with Rayo, they had him, and he brought in a lot of good players, and kind of it allowed Paco Jimenez to to play his style. But when he came back most recently, it was more as a firefighting scenario, and also the standard of the player wasn't as good, and just didn't work out, and he didn't get off to the best start. And then for the problem with Paco Jimenez is if it doesn't get off to a good start, he tends to make it worse as opposed to being able to fix it with a change of tactics. Was the um, was giving him as the job a sop to the fans? Was it say, right, I'm giving you your hero, can you shut up for five minutes? No, but he, he's, he, he wouldn't be their hero either, though, because he he's so contrary that he came out and said, like, he didn't really agree with a lot of the fans' kind of views on, on, on society and things like that. So he wouldn't be really their hero in that sense, in a, in a footballing sense. He would be their hero, or not? Not not, their, he, not 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 all fans, and I can't speak for all of them. But in a footballing sense, he definitely made it more exciting, and he was very interesting to listen to. But he wouldn't be their hero in that sense, though. And for for Rayo fans, it's, it's more than just football. Yeah, well, that's what it seems to be. Uh, I'm going to end this chat uh, shortly with Effecto Pasio, uh, with a song called La Vida Pirata. Does that mean anything oh, to yeah. you? Yeah, 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 that's the Bucanero song after this, after they win uh, in Vallecas, yeah. It is so popular that it's actually on the Vallecano well-known online web uh, encyclopedia page. I, was, I wasn't going to ask you to sing it because you are on holiday. To have a club song is evidence of good morale among the fan base. Watford haven't really got a proper song. We just have Elton John's Your Song splashed on the Elton John yeah. stand. Um, but it would be remiss of me not to bring up something that you brought up with me uh, in the screener uh, chat that we had. What is it like having a tumour removed? Strange. Uh, not so much. Uh, well, I, I was a slave. I was, on, I was uh, under anaesthetic for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really... Um, didn't feel a thing? I didn't really... No, but, but yeah, the, the whole idea of it and thing is weird. And, and that's not so much the, the, the details of the surgery that they had, but more the the kind of effects afterwards and kind of realising that you're not invincible. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had any health issues, but, yeah, with something like that, it's, uh, yeah, it gives you a kind of a fresh perspective and a, and a, new, a new outlook. And, yeah, it's um, definitely, like, for me anyway, a life-changing event. Does it mean that when Vallecano lose, as they might well do several times this season, but under this manager and with Mario Suarez in the midfield, I think you'll survive. I don't know what the hopes are for Vallecano. But does it make you think, eh, it's football? It actually makes me want to pursue my passions and, 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 and enjoy the small things in life even more. And it actually turns 
the the kind of inconsequential stuff and the stuff that I don't really care about into smaller things rather than um, yeah into and and it makes me kind of appreciate the my love for football and my enjoyment I get out of it even more. I know that is terrific, and I hope you do have a very enjoyable season uh, with the Bucaneros. Uh, singing this song La Vida Parata. Uh, does it get a mention in your book, Working Class Heroes, Madrid's Forgotten Team? It does, yeah, yeah. I, I mention it because I was actually, when I first heard it, I was completely blown away by the the way that they do it because the Bucaneros sing it and then the fans in the other stand sing it back to them. and It almost felt like a, a stadium in like South America or somewhere, like, you know, one of those one of those kind of vibes. Uh, the, the song, and there's all the lines are repeated twice which is quite fun. But uh, you will hear the lyrics, La vida parata es la vida mejor, sin trabajar, sin estudiar, con la botella de ron, soy capitán del Santa Inés, y en cada puerto tengo una mujer, and so on. Pirate life is the best life. No work, no studying. Well, you can't sing it because you're doing a master's. With which um, school are you doing the master's? Yeah, a college here in, 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 in Ireland. Oh, super. Uh, yes, with a bottle of rum, I am the captain of the Santa Inés, and in each port, I have a woman. Oh dear! <laughs> work in class, work in class football songs. Uh, if I ever have to marry with the Rio one, it'll be that one. So it seems to be, give me that woman, not the English, the serious English woman, las inglesas con su seriedad y la francescas que todo lo dan, who give their all. I'd want to marry that woman. Um, is yeah, your yeah. partner uh, a Rio lad, Del Rio? No, 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 no. She doesn't. Uh, she doesn't really care much for football at all. Actually, oh, no. we watch the Spain games together, and she gets into it when she watches it. But no, her family are Real Madrid fans. And of course, uh, we have run out of time, so we can't really talk about Irish football. But I talked about it with Jonathan O'Brien. And uh, w- would you be bothered if Ireland don't get to Qatar? Well, to be honest with you, it's kind of weird being away from Ireland and that I'm living in Spain, obviously. Um, Qatar is going to be a very strange World Cup anyway. And we've just had a summer of the Euros. And I'm sure once we get into Qatar or World Cup mode next uh, June, it'll be very, very different. But I don't really think too much about international football because, well, because firstly, I'm away from Ireland. And secondly, because we, we've never had any success anyway. So, uh that's yeah, not true. Really put too much... 1990. Success. Yeah. You were heroes. I mean, if you want to call that. No, no, absolutely heroes. When we And they were. And, and Jack Charles, that era of Irish football was absolutely brilliant. But I'm talking about success in terms of... Yeah, winning stuff. Actually winning something. Or, or even getting to a final. Like, I mean, the quarterfinals of the World Cup and Torres Scalacci ruined our yeah. hopes and dreams is, is, is as good as it's ever gotten for us. And... Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I've had absolutely wonderful memories. I'm not saying that. And, and Jack Charlton is a legend uh, in Ireland, and those those players and the teams and the memories are, are will always be with us. But since then, it's been very doom and gloom, and and and, and even even the standard the standard of players back then, and like like the World Cup in 2002, we had like Keane and Roy Keane, but he didn't play, but and um, Roy Keane and Robbie Keane and. And, and the standard of player was was there, whereas yeah. now it just feels like, although we're, we're kind of getting back into it now with the, with Stephen Kenny, I, I feel like he's the right man to kind of at least instill a philosophy and a, a certain a playing style and things like that. But yeah, 
I've just been preparing a very clunky segue. I hope you're ready for it. Well, Ireland are very good at rock music. You've got Inhaler, Irish rock band Inhaler, uh, fronted by Eli Hewson, number one in the UK album chart as we speak. And talking of music, uh, Robbie Dunn, um, gracias for showing up. Have a wonderful season. Um, and uh, I believe um, that you and other Bucaneros can sing along to this. Y las francesas que todo lo dan. Y las francesas que todo lo dan. 